Welcome to the Jockey Club, a podcast looking at the movie Let It Ride, one scene at a time. My name is Dan Delgado, and we're at historic Hialeah Park where one man is having the best day of his life. I'm having a good day. So come on in and hang out while we talk about this day and the greatest movie of all time, Let It Ride. Don't worry about that guy at the door. I've got you covered. You can even take my seat to the jockey club. Welcome back to the Jockey Club. My name is Dan Delgado. We are up to episode 13, which means we are doing the 13th scene of Let It Ride. And really, it's the 13th scene according to me. This is the scene where Trotter shares his tip with Cheeseburger and makes his second bet of the day. So, sort of a two-for-one there. Joining me to discuss this scene is Jordan Brady. Jordan hosts the filmmaking-focused podcast Respect the Process. Oh, and he's also directed feature films and is a hugely successful commercial filmmaker, much like Joe Pitka himself. And if you're playing along at home, this is going to be from minute 3304 to 3452. All right, now let's head on up to my usual table at the Jockey Club to discuss what is the Pitka effect, who voiced Sebastian the Crab, and yes, the 13th scene of Let It Ride. So I could say when I first started putting the idea for this podcast together, which was a few months ago, and I started typing out people that I thought would talk over a scene with me, who would be good, you were right there on that list. So flattered. You were right there. And, and what I'm very excited to talk to you about is because, you know, you bring a perspective that nobody else that I'm going to talk to is going to bring. And that is that this movie is a Joe Pitka film. A guy yes. who is known for a wildly successful and influential commercial career, right? I would say top of the rock. Okay. So that's that's Joe Pitka. And yeah. he has this movie. He's got one other film, Space Jam. The movie career is really bonkers. If you look at these two films, they don't really make... They don't really go together, but it's fine. It doesn't matter. Right. But you, sir, are another person with a wildly successful commercial career. And you have also directed feature films. And so yes. you're the guy, right? So you're going to be able to look at this movie in a way that I think other people can't. And I think Pitka's commercial sensibility is really all over this film because as... Oh, especially the scene that you assigned to me. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. why I picked this one for you. I mean, I... Thank you. I typed out, whatever, 32, 33 scenes, and next to this one, I put your name. Oh, you're so kind. <laughs> trying to pull it up here, too. <laughs> so, I'm sure as you looked at it, you were probably thinking, uh, like, like, what were your initial thoughts when you looked at it, actually, just recently, as a okay. commercial director, as so, a man who respects the process? Yes, yeah, so, first of all, yeah, thanks again for having me and choosing this scene. The use of wide lenses, wider than we see in today's commercials or mainstream movies, mm -hmm. with where and where the camera is waiting for a character to run up to it, I believe is in this scene. I watched it again like 
30 minutes ago. Can we play it? If you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me play it. What exact time code do you want me to do? Oh, okay. Yeah, actually, I do have the time codes on it. It is 3306, and then it ends at 3452. Okay, so let me back up. Okay. Let me back up. I'm at, uh, and listeners, if you want to cue it up and watch along with us. Hey, go right ahead. I'm sure Dan would, would let you. So I'm at 3214 where Richard Dreyfus has just, and I'm sure you've already talked about this because you must be doing this in chronological order. Yes, you're right. I have, yes. Okay. So he's, he's up. This is critical right here. Okay. I hear you're hot to trot. I hear you're hot to trot. Hot to trot, by the way. Was yeah. another horse racing movie I, with Bobcat Goldwyn. Yes, this is absolutely correct. Yes. Okay. So I, I will, little... and I should point out, I will not be doing a podcast breaking that film down. That's probably <laughs> not going to happen. <clears throat> okay. So she <laughs> says, "Who is that actress?" That's Mary uh, Warrenoff. Okay, she's wonderful. She's she's about to say a line that is crucial to the tone of the film. Oh yeah, she absolutely. Says something to the effect of. Some guys just don't know the lucky. <laughs> you could be walking around lucky and not even know it. Yes. Okay. Here she comes. Why do you like this faith healer? How do you know that I like faith healer? You might be walking around lucky and not even know it. You know what I mean? Magical moment right there. Oh, yeah, yeah. The magical That's moment. The space, that would lead to Space Jam. That would influence Space Jam that moment. <laughs> That's the moment? She's like from another world. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's true. She does turn into some sort of like supernatural being. And, you know, you just kind of wonder, is is this how just Dreyfus is perceiving things on this day? Right. I didn't know if we were in Dreyfus's head. Right. Okay, you don't yeah, really know. There's no explanation. This is my scene you've assigned me. Right after. And he's hot to trot here. Look at him walking. He's like. He's got a pep in his step. He's strutting. He's, this is. He's into act two now. Yeah. Like, right. The, she actually started act two, the special world that he's in. Oh, you think so? You think that's where, where it, you could like pinpoint that moment and kick it off? We are like 30 minutes in. Sure. I'm I could throw it out there that I like it. he's won twice. Okay. Well, no, he's okay. won once. He's won once. He has the tip for the second horse. He's oh, about oh, to bet the second horse in this scene. You're right. Okay. So we're we're teetering. It's it's kind of a blurred line. Okay. Act one, act two, but it's right around there. And I would pinpoint it to her because of that magical moment. Okay. And, and there's nothing else like that prior to this in the film, correct? Not really. No. You know, he does hear those chimes on occasion, but it's not like this. Like this yeah. is just like it's it's as though she turns it to some sort of apparition, right? It's just yeah. You know, it's it's totally out there. Yes. So that's probably, uh, if I was a good guest, a great guest, I would have researched more Pitka commercials from the same era. Oh, wow. But I'm imagining, like, you know, for for your listeners that don't understand, I'm sure you've talked about it, but Pitka is the king of the Clydesdales. Like, he's done more Budweiser Clydesdale Super Bowl spots than anybody. Oh, really? See, I, I didn't even know that, so... So I don't know if I'm using the term magical realism correctly. Oh, there's there's no one judging that, so don't worry about it. Okay, but there was kind of a little mad. That's what that was with yeah. that woman there. It was mad, We didn't go into another world fully, but it was a bit of magic there. It was a bit of hocus pocus. Yes. And then cut from that scene, and Dreyfus is a little luckier. His way, he's got a little pep in his step. He's got a little 
bouncing walk. That's true. Yeah, that's right. Okay. That's right. Yeah. So I think that's a deliberate pit couture. Oh, everything's the director's choice, but I think he's making a point to say, look at the, look at our character now. He's feeling his oats. David Joe Hansen. Yeah. Who for the younger people, he had a thriving career prior to this movie as Buster Poindexter. Yes. Yes. Have you talked about that already? No, not really. We haven't really delved too much into Joe Hansen specifically. I mean, we definitely talk about him, but not so much things like Buster Poindexter, which, you know, when he would show up on SNL, and I'm, I don't know, let's just say I'm like 13, it would always perplex me. Like, who is this guy? Like, I actually thought that was his name. I thought that's who he was, was that character that, you know, he was playing and singing those songs. So, so uh, yeah, imagine Buster Poindexter was... Yeah. Well, David Johansson had a punk rock career, and yes. that's not my jam, but I know his history. Right. Yeah. He reinvented himself as this character, Buster Poindexter, yes. with big pompadour hair and a suit. And it was it was kind of a swing jazz, which he made popular for the young people. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing that Pitka and the studio felt like this was a bit of stunt casting. It'd be like casting Little Nas X or Snoop Dogg <laughs> as a best friend in a current film. Okay. All right. I'll go with you right? there. Okay. That's interesting. I like it. Yep. And and you're, uh, I think you're from your Gen X listeners that have kids and your millennials will know his voice as Sebastian the Lobster in uh, Little Mermaid. No, he's Sebastian? I'm pretty sure you can Google it. I don't know who Seb who the voice of Sebastian is, but okay, I did not know. I had no idea if that was true. Oh wow, okay. Voice of Sebastian the Crab. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry, Samuel E. Wright. Okay, well, I didn't know that either. I don't even know who Samuel E. Wright is. <laughs> I'm pretty. Wow, I just I said that with such conviction. You really I did too. I know. I all these years, I believed that it was. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Okay, anyway, let's keep going with the scene. This is the okay? best episode I've done so far. Look at that music. Look at him. Yeah, he's really just, you know, yeah. bopping along as he's walking down the... Yeah, he uh, takes the money. Yes, yes, here comes Cheeseburger. He might as well be floating. <laughs> All right, so as that guy is giving him, you know, as, as Cheeseburger is, is, you know, asking him who he likes in the next race, and he's providing, he's bribing him with, with money... Uh, do you think that 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 the, the money he's giving him could be anything more than a dollar? No, it's just a dollar. Right, it's just a dollar. It's, it's not like it's a five. Dollar. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's just a dollar. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so now Dreyfus is up at the window. Yes. Let it ride. Let it ride. That's the first time he said the title of the film in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the first time where it's like this is this is this like is it, and that's how I think. That's the end of the gray area transition from Act 1 to Act 2. Oh, uh, you know what? You're right. You're right. You're dead on. Yeah. That's it right there. It's that moment. I it's had that moment. Because okay. when, when the waitress, you know, was kind of otherworldly, that was like, okay, this little chunk of time, we're leaving Act 1. Something special happened. We're out of the ordinary world where he doesn't win a lot. Right. And she's tipped it off. Then we have that little t t t little interlude. Yeah. And it's, it, and when he goes, let it ride. Mm -hmm. Now he's in the the special world of of winning. Life is about to change. His confidence is 
is brimming. Yes. Yes. Right? Yes. He has this, uh, this, this little back and forth he has with the ticket seller where he's got his, his money that he keeps in the shoes, that he's hiding in the shoes. He actually puts it on the counter. I just love that yeah. detail. <laughs> it's just sitting there. <laughs> this is where I'm taking the money out of. Like, if you're the ticket seller, do you want to touch it? I don't think you do. Well, later... When he wins again, the guy goes, shoot. Yeah, that's yeah, right. He's, yeah. he's just giving into the whole thing. Yes, yes, yes. He's not a believer in this in this scene, not yet. He's still giving him a little bit of a hard time for uh, for betting uh, again. On what? Look at this. A win tickets. Winning ticket. On Faith Healer. Most guys get lucky. They bet $3 in the next race. Just give me the $50 win tickets on the number seven horse, please. That's a classic Dreyfus straight line. Didn't chew up the scenery, just said it, yeah. said the line. There's so much, uh, I call it eye acting, because his eyes say a lot. He's not making mm-hmm. a, a meal out of this scene. But he's just, give me the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't do the impressions. <laughs> and look at him, he's... Why is he upset, though? That's what I don't get about this. Oh, the ticket seller is annoyed with that. The I, ticket seller, why is he annoyed? I Because my, my driver is, is, is irresponsible gambler? I think so. I think so. My own theory on the ticket seller, because he's annoyed with him the first time that he bets, too. He kind of, like, gives him the high hat, right? I think it's that Trotter, Dreyfus, has a reputation for being this degenerate gambler, for being a guy who's, you know, one of these guys that float around the track who's a no good kind of guy and so i think that's i think the ticket seller already just maybe he doesn't know him by name but he certainly has seen him around and he doesn't like that type hanging around here that's that's my theory on it and then he waits oh yeah we hear the the, the tickets tick- printing this is the first time we get the the extended ticket printing it's only 14 tickets i guess because he's betting 700 dollars yeah, this whole thing that happens right here, it, it's one take. It's this long take where he's walking away and a number of things happen at the same time, right? You've got the comment of, hey, you shrunk, right? The vibes throws that at him. And then you've got Johansson approaching him right after that. So that's all in the timing, right? It's all, it's all in one take, no cuts. And then I'm going to back up. Ooh, I backed up too far. So he gets it to look at this. So right before, right at the end of the steady cam. Right. Let's watch that again. Okay. Listeners, I implore you to cue it up. 3408 is where we're at. Okay. Okay, here comes Dreyfus. All one shot now. You trotted. You shrunk. You shrunk. I got an idea that we can make a lot of money. Listen, we take the tape, we run down to the stables, we confront the trainer with the evidence. With what he made in the first race, you think he's going to mind slipping us like five? Normally, he'd go along with that plan. Yeah, you know, you, you got to wonder, maybe a, a week ago, that sounds like a good idea. But now watch the camera, watch it. What a weird cut. I'll get you for this! I'll get you for this! A weird jump cut, almost. Yeah! Where the camera pulls back Steadicam, and then Dreyfus exits frame. Yes. And it, it's not the same frame, like a true jump cut. It's a little closer to Johansson. But the camera races in not smooth or anything it's like almost tipsy steady cam ah, some big scream yes that'll later be replicated in space jam with bugs bunny 
Oh, are you serious? Like it's the same thing? Or, oh, yeah. I made that up. <laughs> I totally bought that. <laughs> and and I think this this is yeah. the end of my assignment uh, scene. Well, just where he walks back up to the and then, oh, then yeah. Johansson's going to get back, and now it's going to be uh, another oneer as we walk as he he yells his line. I'll get you for this, and then he gets up and he walks back. You know, as, he and he's going to make his own bet. So you got to think mm-hmm. with. A studio movie, mm-hmm. okay. A star like Richard Dreyfus, where I don't know where he is on his trajectory, but he's he's one of Hollywood's stalwarts, right? He's a fabulous actor, right? Yeah, I would say for his career, he's on a still on where his comeback was, right? From right. post Down and Out in Beverly Hills and Stakeout, so he's still a little bit on on that high, I would say. So he so this was a coup for a commercial director, even. The industry leader, the juggernaut that is Mr. Pitka, mm-hmm. and so it's it's a coup for a commercial director to get this kind of movie. I would think so. I would think so. So let me share something with you that I know that that Joe Pitka has said regarding this film, and yep. and I implore any anybody who listens to this podcast regularly, all you know, ten of you, to to get the the <laughs> Blu-ray. That uh, Imprint Films put out last year, which actually has some good material on it. It's a great disc. But there's someone put out a Blu-ray in 2021. In two, I know in 2021, (laughs) it had a commentary. uh, Did it come with a Blu-ray player? Uh, It did not come with a Blu-ray player. (laughs) Okay, go ahead, go ahead. So what? What did Pitka say? (laughs) Okay, so there's like a 10 minute audio interview with Pitka where he talks about the film, and he said that. When when he got the movie and, and he saw I don't know he he ta- he spoke with Paramount saw what they had and he determined that him and his commercial crew could do more things than what Paramount could do so he brought his entire commercial crew to work on the movie for you know with him and and so the way he looked at it was. Look, whatever you guys have, I can do it much better and much easier with me and my my people. I would, I would agree. And the studio, which I believe is Paramount, yep. You know, they saw what Michael Bay. What did Michael Bay? What did he had shot by this time? Maybe not a movie. No, not yet. No, Michael Bay. Not yet. Not till uh, Bad Boys in '95. So yeah, it's a few okay, years before. So, so he's actually. I think it's safe to say that. Tapping into a commercial director, Pitka was there, and uh, Michael Bay stood on those shoulders. I did not. All right, this is going to sound ridiculous. I did was not aware that Michael Bay was a commercial director prior. Oh yeah, to, commercial to music videos. Like music, yeah, music videos. I think I knew. I don't. I didn't know that he did commercials. I mean, it's not surprising, really. <laughs> I mean, you you think about Pitka being super efficient mm-hmm. and bringing his commercial team who. I've I've actually met Joe Pitka twice. Oh, we gotta hear about it. Yeah, and but I've never been on set with him. Mm-hmm. My wife actually worked on his crew, and everyone that stayed with his crew right. were dutiful and obedient in a loving way. Like they, it, he ran it more military, militarist, military. How do you say that? Militaristic. Militaristic. He leads with the stick. Not the carrot. And if he did lead with the carrot, he'd probably beat you with the carrot. <laughs> there's 
And then Mr. Pickett, if you're listening, you know, I, I enjoyed our chance meetings as and I'll tell you about Dan and I'm a fan of the work, but you do hear stories of like, he threw a basketball at someone, an actor I worked with once was in space jam. He said, he big guy he said he made me cry. And he yelled at people and he fired people. Oh, wow. My wife okay. is my wife is on the shorter side. and She was a wardrobe assistant back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And he said something and she just stood up to him. And uh, he liked her from that on. It seemed to respond when people stood their ground. Huh. You'd, have, you'd have agency. The stories, the folklore is how, like, he put, he told a, an agency creative from an ad agency, to like lock himself in the porta potty or something, get off my set. <laughs> you know, it's a buyer's market these days. You wouldn't be able to to get away with that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It does, right? does not seem like you would. No, that seems yeah, like it's a long gone time. Era. Yeah. So I met Joe Pitka. I did a film. My first film was called Dill Scallion, mm-hmm. which is like a country music. This is Spinal Tap. That's what the late Roger Ebert called it. He loved the film, by the way. And so, you would know David Koechner, Lauren Graham, Billy Burke, but, but stars, stars at the, like Henry Winkler has a cameo. Peter Berg plays a character. Robert Wagner is in a scene. Like there's crazy cameos. Okay. And so I make this movie and we're screening it around town. And I believe it was, it was at one of the uh, screenings on the Paramount lot. And this would have been like 99, 99, 2000. And we're screening it, trying to sell the movie and creating these events, right? Okay. Which any filmmakers listening, if you eventize your film, your indie film, it's a great way to get buzz going and buyers, you know, let buyers come to a screening where they see it instead of sending a link where you watch at home in your robe and you get up five times and you're tweeting. So you, you make it an event yeah. which we would do and we would party and have drinks and pick it came to one of those screenings because the producer of my film joe blake right was Pitka's casting director for many of the commercials okay so just this weird coincidence weird connection yeah so joe blake the casting director who produced still scallion invites joe Pitka. joe comes to the movie He's towering over me afterwards. He's, I think he's like eight foot 11. That's what I keep hearing. (laughs) And he, he was like a teddy bear, super complimentary to myself as a writer director and to Joe. And then years later, I'm a working semi-successful commercial director. And I see him on the streets of Manhattan, somewhere around Columbus circle. And he was just either given or nominated for like a DGA director's guild of America lifetime achievement award. And I just stopped him real quick and said, Hey, Mr. Pick, uh, you know, uh, congratulations on your lifetime achievement award. So great. And he was gracious and everything. So my two encounters, mm. albeit brief are nothing like the folklore that I've heard from, yeah. you know, older ad execs that shot with him back in the day. And, it, it kind of, Dan, leads you to that age-old question, does the end justify the means? Oh, it is an excellent question. Um, I, it, it feels as though in some cases it does, right? It, 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 there's not an absolute answer to that question. I think it's a case-by-case scenario, right? 
Yeah, even within the Pitka universe, mm-hmm. you know he didn't make Dreyfus cry. That's true. I'm sure he was uh, uh, chivalrous and and suave with Terry Gar. <laughs> I certainly hope so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm imagine he he was a charmer. And uh, back to your original point about bringing his crew on, I bet his crew worked their ass off. And, and, and you know, I'm sure there's a lot of second unit with the horse racing, too. Oh, yeah, right. There has right. to be. Yeah. Sure, yeah. yeah. So, so he's just dealing with the star cast and telling the story. Mm-hmm. And, and when it comes to this scene, what do you think of these two choices that he makes where, you know, you've got that, uh, that Steadicam Warner where... Travis is walking away, and then we do that that cut and that push in on Johansson, and now we're gonna follow him as he storms to to the window to to make his bet. Which at the end, when he says it's like a little tag that the, the horse is the name of his cat, oh, cat, right? Which just goes to show he's he's betting out of out of anger and spite, and there's no thought process really as to what his choice is. I'm just betting against Trotter's horse. That's all I'm doing. So anyway. Those choices, though, you know, the steady came out. It's hard, you know, some films and choices. um, First of all, there's no right or wrong choice. Right. He's the director, you know, any director. You know, people send me rough cuts of their commercials sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, as you know, I teach. I have commercial directing film school. You can learn about it at commercialdirectingfilmschool.com. And they'll say, hey, will you look at my rough cut? Hey, I just did this commercial before I show everybody. Can I show you? I'm like, sure. But my opinion doesn't matter. You're the director, right? Okay. You're the director, like it's not. It's not what I think. But since you're asking, and it's a podcast, yeah, I don't like the the dolly in or steady cam in on David Johansson. Okay. Oh, really? Okay. Now, because it seems like a weird jump cut. It doesn't. I would have cut to him close screaming, okay. and then pulled him up to the thing, up to the counter to make his bet, like the the. I, I love the oneer of Dreyfus. Yeah, the one walking away. Yeah. Yeah. And I love the tenacity and determination in Pitka to not shoot the reverse, pushing the two actors where the editor would then cut two takes together. Like the energy of the oneer mm-hmm. is so great, and Dreyfus punctuates it by leaving frame. Yes, yes. But then you're, you're sort of diffusing that wonderfulness by that almost jump cut and sloppily going back up to a close-up of David Johansson. It's I would have cut cut to the close-up with his signature wide lens of the day. It is a bit jarring when it cuts to that. There's no other shots that are like that in the movie, and it almost feels like like a horror movie, you know, as, as it yeah, extremely it, zooms in on his face. It's tonally mm-hmm. different than the, uh, than the visual language of the movie. And it's not a, it's, he's, Johansson is not our hero. Uh, for sure. So, so why did the hero get that sort of treatment? It wasn't even connected. Like the waitress had a point behind the, mm-hmm. the, the filmmaking craft. So that's, that's just my opinion, but I didn't get to chosen to direct, let it ride. <laughs> you, you don't have to back away yeah. from your opinion yeah. so much. It's okay. It's been 30 yeah, 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 but- years. He's, but I'm trying to thread the needle. I know. I know. Just to, so I don't come off. I mean, because I really believe it, whether we were talking about Joe Picca or a, a student that failed out of NYU, 
I still want to respect the director's choice and say, you know, that's what the director did. Look, I made I made a movie called Waking Up in Reno mm-hmm. yes. with Billy Bob Thornton, Patrick Swayze, Natasha Richardson, and uh, Charlize Theron. A young Charlize, a, a yet-to-be-superstar Charlize Theron, who was wonderful. And there were things that I did that the the DP, William Fraker, was a uh, you know Hollywood legendary cinematographer. And he would pull me aside and go, why are we doing this? And I'd be like, yeah, I don't know, man. We're just trying shit, you know, because <laughs> I saw it in a Soderbergh film and I want to copy it. You know, I just, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm just trying things to be trying things. And, and Billy Bob too would like, Hey man, uh, wait, wh- why are you doing it like this? And I would tell him and he'd go, Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and so, so I'm sure that as a, as a younger filmmaker, I did things that made people go, that's a weird choice, but Hey, it was my choice. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, listen, I honestly think that what Pitka brings to the movie is partly of what makes it a favorite of mine, right? Because the movie has a lot of zip. It moves, and it's a lot of stuff like this, which maybe not everything works, but overall, the overall effect, the overall Pitka effect, if if we're calling it that, because I just coined that right now. That's the Pitka effect. Uh, That could be a longer podcast. It really could, right? The Pitka effect. So I think the pick effect is actually really beneficial. I think his commercial sensibility, if you will, is one of the things that makes this film feel unique. Uh-huh. Right. It's not traditional, like I, the aforementioned uh, William Fraker, who did Rosemary's Baby. And in later years, around when I met him, he did Town and Country. Oh, a flop, oh. a flop of a film that took... I think 17 years to make with Warren Beatty. Yes, but, yes. But Frager delivered that Hollywood look, that polished look. Mm-hmm. And that's why he that's why he was, you know, softly forced upon me as a guerrilla filmmaker coming from a mockumentary <laughs> to a Merrimax movie. It was like, well, control the gorilla. Meet me the gorilla. And and Pitka certainly wasn't saddled with and that's a testament to his you know, voice as a filmmaker and his fortitude and strong personality. I'm sure they, the studio was not going to fucking put any crew on him. Mm-hmm. You know, they were, when he's, I'm, I, this is all conjecture, right? But if I take you at your word on that story, I can bring my commercial guys. That is what you get. And the, it doesn't feel, even in the poll that I love with Dreyfus, it doesn't feel like a, a slicker Hollywood movie. Okay, no, I, I, it right? doesn't. No, not like you know where it's an obvious slickness where it feels artificial and it's like, oh, okay. It just, I don't know. It just kind of goes. It just kind of goes, right? I mean, I, I do love that. There's just a, a, there's this recurring gag that other characters can tell when he's got the money in his shoes and when he doesn't, right? Oh, you look taller, you look shorter. I love that right. throwaway line in there. And then you've got Johansson over his shoulder right afterwards. Like, there's just something very cool about how that just, you know, how that plays out. You think of the the vibe and the energy that you love versus, say, I'm l- trying to find the one with Tobey Maguire. What was that one? With Tobey Maguire. Which movie was he? He was a jockey. He was a jockey. Oh, Seabiscuit, of course. Seabiscuit. Yeah. Seabiscuit yeah. w- was more like a, 
you know, it was like a Jane Austen version oh. of a racetrack movie. Oh, my God. Absolutely. I mean, it, these are night and day films in all aspects, right? Yes, you're right. It is almost like a Jane Austen version of a horse racing movie. That's that's a good way to put it. Yeah. See, like if I'm thinking of horse racing films, the way my brain works, and I think most people probably th will think of Seabiscuit first because that was a, a huge <laughs> successful film. We're talking about something that was not a successful movie at all. But it kind of stays out of my consciousness, you know. It, it's a movie that kind of, I saw it, I liked it at the time, I appreciate the work that went into it, but it, it doesn't stay with me. You know, once I leave the theater and then a week later, I would, yeah, I, I, he won, right? That's what happened in that movie? He wins the race at the end. That's how I would look at it. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Won. That's why there's no Seabiscuit podcast, by the way. It's that, that's the exact there, there never will be. <laughs> don't think so. <laughs> so here's the here's the uh the big question tell me ask me the podcast finale are you going to get pitka i don't know if i well i don't know that anybody could get pitka I don't, does he do interviews i don't i'm not aware that he does i have tried to get it on my podcast respect the process okay it's all about commercial filmmaking yes and i want to get him for the 500th episode but I don't know. Everyone I've asked is like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah okay, all right. Well, yeah. I, I'll tell you, the, the the bit that he does on the Blu-ray is very odd because it's an audio-only interview with him, and it's not even an interview. It's just him talking. Like, no one's asking him questions. He's just talking about Let It Ride. It's maybe 10 minutes long. And, you know, all right, so I got signed for it, and I brought in my own commercial crew, Paramount didn't uh I could see that I could do anything better than they could. You know, it's just that for about 10 minutes. So, Gotcha. Is you know, he happy with the movie? I don't know. I have no idea is the, how he feels Is the commentary it. somewhat flattering? Mm, somewhat. Now, I'm going to let you and your listeners in on a secret. Tell me. I like when I had When I had Werner Herzog on my podcast. That's a good get. Huh? I, a, I interviewed him at a at a bowling alley. That's a fantastic, that's a story. That's a great story right there. Why is he in a well, bowling here, alley? And here's how it happened. I heard, you know, there's a famous clip where he goes, if you, and I don't do the impressions, but it's something like, if you want to do, you want to do the, uh, uh, be a filmmaker, what you have to do is read, 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 read. And it's in some speech you know, he's giving to a college in Illinois. Okay. And so I went down that rabbit hole and I found like a three minute, four minute piece of audio that was clean from YouTube. Nice. And then I just asked the questions here in my studio. Oh my God. Just edited <laughs> his answer. So I did the lead up and I was like, well, what would make, what would Werner Herzog do? So I put some bowling alley sound effects below it. And I did an episode, you know, kind of War of the Worlds. Like I just said, hey, I was, you know, I had my recorder in the car. The audio is kind of weird. I ran into Werner Herzog. Here it is. And people that know me know that I was full of shit. But a lot of people were like, that is so crazy, man. Oh, my God. That's hysterical. Because, it's, you know, it's EQ'd to sound like we're both in the same room. So uh, push comes to shove and you don't get Pitka. Right. Take that Blu-ray interview. <laughs> and uh, dot, dot, dot. oh my god that's beautiful
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Jockey Club. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Dan Delgado. Thank you to my guest, Jordan Brady. Look for Jordan's podcast, Respect the Process, wherever you got this podcast from. There will be a link to it in the show description. There's also going to be a link to his commercial directing film school in there as well. So check it out, future filmmakers. Our theme music is from Epidemic Sound, and our cover art is by Sean LeBrie. If you enjoyed this episode, and I certainly hope that you did, then you can help the show out by buying me a coffee. Yes, that's really a thing. And yes, there is a link in the show description on how to do it. But if you've already rat-holed that five and you can't quite get to it, I understand. You can still support the show by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may be listening to this, because maybe there's a way to leave a review. You can contact me through email. It's dan at moviemaker.com. I am on Twitter at underscore dan underscore Delgado. Or even better, I'm on the Repod app, which is a great way to not only listen to podcasts, but to interact with podcast hosts like me. Find it in your app store and then come on by and say hello. This has been Dan Delgado for The Jockey Club. And remember, sometimes you could be walking around lucky and not even know it.